You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Live, is it? Oops. It is not live. Okay, cool. And uh, welcome in to the Austin Audible's podcast. We almost made it. Chris Hummer is not part of the joke. Uh, but he just did it. <laughs> uh, I'm Matt Frame, Eric Scopel, uh, Chris Summer, 24-7 Sports, National Transfer, uh, Transfer Portal Insider, National College Football Writer on 24-7 Sports joins the show. Chris, I just said it. You did You did nothing wrong. Uh, Eric has been trying to trick me every, like, I think the last five well, or six podcasts. I, this, is a, this is a streak of four straight where I've got you right as you hit record so that he's laughing entering the show because I'm talking to him. <laughs> and Chris, 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 unbeknownst to him, fell right into it for me. I decided I was going to play kind of the slow game here, and, and Chris jumped into me. I appreciate it. What, what Eric is not telling you, Matt, is he told me ahead of the time just to toggle right before you went on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But. Uh, we felt like this was a good time to get you on because <laughs> – this podcast is going to come out after the portal closes, but we're recording at the, de- the last day that it's open. Um, you are the man for 24-7 Sports, the transfer portal discussion. Uh, you track the numbers. You know the storylines. You follow all the data. Uh, and so this was, this was notable for us. And so I- I'm just kind of curious. As the day is closing, there's still things could happen. Um just what what's it been like this season compared to previous years? Because Eric and I, like our noses are so laser focused on Oregon that we see other stuff that happens across the country, but trends and all that, we don't know too much about that. But from an Oregon perspective, the numbers have exploded. And I have to imagine it's like that across the board at every school from a portal entry standpoint. Yeah, I would um I would say from a trend perspective, the first thing is it's been considerably more compressed. Maybe this is a selfish view for me since I've been having to deal with it in this 45 day window. But it's also the sentiment across the country. We've had almost two thousand FBS players enter the last not quite two thousand. There were about four hundred before December fifth. So you're talking about six fourteen to sixteen hundred players in the last forty five days, which is a heavy wow. lift. Um, on recruiting staffs, coaching staffs, especially when you consider there were bowl games going on, there's recruiting going on, the early signing period, you have to get kids on campus to visit, there's a dead period to deal with. Um, So from that perspective, the trend is um, a very compressed timeline to get things done. And not necessarily people running around with their heads cut off like chickens, but a lot of schools have to be very organized to do well in the process. I think this year, just generally from a 10,000 foot view, we haven't had the superstars maybe we had a year ago. Um, I was looking at our 24-7 sports ratings from last year. Last year, I believe we had nine players rated as a 95 above in our rankings. This year, we're at only four. Um, So we've lacked some of the top end star power. I think some of that has to do with NIL factoring in and a lot of players getting locked down before they even go in the portal. Um, and then the final like 10,000 foot view is also about NIL. I think this has been an off season that has proven that NIL matters in this. At this time last year in the transfer portal, um, NIL hadn't really exploded the way it has now. Yeah. Um, now it's a significant factor in a lot of transfer portal decisions. Oregon is obviously very active on that front and it seems to have mattered um, with some of the players they've brought in. 
And some schools that you would expect to be able to kind of keep their guys, some top tier schools just can't compete in that space right now. Um, at least to the same degree other schools can. So all of those things have coalesced and created a interesting environment. Chris, are, are we doing this right with the transfer portal? Like is, is the schedule that we have in place, uh, the rules that are in place, like, is this, like, I, I guess I'll just ask you almost this way. Like if in a perfect world and, and let's, I don't know if you feel qualified to be this person, but if I were to be head of the NCAA, I'm, I'm Mark Emmer, and I'm like, Chris, I'm going to hire you to make the portal work. Like, are there clear changes you see that you would implement or, or do you feel pretty comfortable with just the structure and kind of the, the way things are right now? I think it, I mean, I'm definitely not qualified to do anything. <laughs> right. I'm just not doing anything <laughs> in that regard. But I think it just depends on who you are in the process and what your motivations are. And I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but if I'm a player, I want as much agency as possible. I want absolutely no restrictions on the process. If I'm a coach, the current model with the windows is slightly more favorable, but I also want some additional restrictions. We saw the NCAA say recently they were going to limit waivers being passed. And I think that's a big thing for coaches. Once you get a transfer in, you don't want to have to deal with them transferring out again. I think college football in general would be better if we could tamp down on the tampering, although it's difficult yeah. to control and there's really no rule mechanism other than um, aggressive enforcement that'll change that. Personally, what I would like to see is I would like to see the elimination of the early signing period. I would like a window in June where high school players can sign and then the retention of the national signing day, the original, the OG. In February, um, right? Yeah, that way people, especially transfers, have time to actually make visits and make informed decisions. Because right now, especially with the window opening December 5th and considering the early signing period is essentially two weeks from that date, a transfer really only has a week and a half to make official visits if they want to decide by that deadline um, because of the dead period that gets enacted. And then it opens up again for a brief amount of time for visits in early January. So it's just a very condensed process. And I think it would be better for the players. I think it would be better for coaching staffs. And frankly, it'd probably be better for people like me if the process could be stretched out just a little bit more. Like think of like a pizza dough. You're like taking out just a stretch more to get like an 18 inch from a 16 inch pizza. Um, so that I think those are some of the initial things I would think about with the portal. Um, when we look at what Oregon did last year, I think the, the two names that hit the most from a national perspective is Bo Nix and Christian Gonzalez. Um, Gonzo will probably be in contention for an early round draft pick, and Nix is going to be one of the top players in college football next season. But Oregon also added guys like Chase Cota, Jordan Riley, Casey Rogers, running backs, Bucky Irving, and Noah Whittington. And some of them had some notoriety to them. Others had zero. Um, and yet all of those guys hit. They, they were all legit starters. They were all guys that played quite a bit for Oregon. Um, and this isn't just Oregon. I mean, UCLA had it across the board. Uh, you, you saw Washington do it. USC in the Pac-12 did it, and that, that's just one league. This kind of feels like how schools are going to go and find their impact players. It used to be like, hey, maybe you get lucky and you know three or four true freshmen play and a couple of JUCO guys play, and you know that's where your impact players are going to be. But, but do you feel like schools are going to you know build their depth through high schools and the guys that are going to play right away are, are going to basically come through the portal? Yeah, I think roster construction will always be situationally dependent. Um, and like if you're a school like Georgia, like 
you might take one or two transfer portal players, but ultimately you're going to go through high school and build your roster through high school. Because at the end of the day, like, for example, like, I don't mean to disparage Jordan Birch. He's a really good player. But Jordan Birch is like a, Birch is a very good um, defensive end edge rusher. He's not an All-American, but he's like a very good guy. Somebody we see as being a potential draft pick down the line. But that is a costly resource to grab in the transfer portal. Whereas in high school, you can develop multiple of those players and have them on your roster and retain them on your roster. So from that perspective, I think high school recruiting will always be the standout way to build a roster. But as I've had this explained to me by several like directors of player personnel at high major programs is there's really no longer an excuse to have holes in your two deep. If you're a really big program, if you're in Oregon, like your defensive line rotation should be stout because you have your high school recruits that you're hopefully developing, but you can also plug holes via the transfer portal. Um, you can bring in one or two bodies if you need. Um, you can add a receiver if it's necessary. You can add a tight end if you need. Um, there is an avenue for top programs now to never really have a legitimate roster hole because there's so many available and available bodies in the in the portal. Obviously. I think there's a difference between not having a roster hole and having an impact player at those positions. Um, right. That's what separates the best teams from the good teams. But like, you shouldn't have nothing at a spot anymore if you're a top tier school. The transfer portal allows you to plug those gaps, and that's why, like, just as an observer, a situation like Clemson is so mystifying to me because, like, it's quite obvious that like Davos Sweeney has some holes in that roster, yet he declines to go in the portal year after year to add bodies. Um, and I think if you're going to be stubborn in that regard in this era of college football, you're going to struggle because it's hard to consistently develop and hit every time. It's easier to hit on a lot of guys, but also be able to plug holes to the portal. And that that's kind of how I think about it, um, just overall. Chris, I, I want to ask kind of more of a, I guess, a big picture question in, in terms of just acquisition in general. But is there a position group you think maybe there's a scarcity most years in the portal? Like, is there a position you look at? Man, that's the hardest to find quality players there because X, Y, and Z. Or, or, or is it pretty open in terms of like every position you think is pretty well represented through the portal over the course of a year? Because obviously you look at like the way the NFL is, is set up, there's just not very many top tier quarterbacks. So that's always at the top of the draft. Those are always the priority players. Is there a position that becomes maybe prioritized over the others because there isn't a lot of quality players in there? Or is it pretty varied in your opinion? I think it's just, I mean, I think the draft value chart, like the old, like, you need your left tackles, your edge rushers, your cornerbacks, your elite wide receivers, like is pretty accurate. Um, there are a ton of DBs in the portal. Um, there are a ton of quality wide receivers in the portal, maybe not elite wide receivers in the portal. Like your skill positions, your running backs are easy to find. It's when you get along the lines of scrimmage that you mm -hmm. have a difficult time really filling gaps. Offensive tackles are at a premium. Interior offensive linemen are at a premium. Edge rushers are at a premium. Even interior defensive linemen are at a premium. Everybody needs one. Everybody needs depth at those positions. And it's to the point where, like, I had an FCS coach tell me, like, they had one of their offensive linemen go in the portal, and, like, his words to me were, like, he sucks. But he also has 10 <laughs> FBS offers. And it's because if you're a live body at those positions, you're a priority because you fill a need on the roster. Um, so it is very hard to find elite starting caliber offensive linemen. It is very hard to find elite starting caliber defensive linemen. Um, 
I would actually argue in this market, like in the college football marketplace, quarterback is it can't you can get in trouble, but it's not it's not impossible to find a body like it is at some other positions. Like yeah. because we have like obviously only one guy can play, and like if you're at an elite school, you're not going to sit most of the time. So like like mid tier P five schools, lower tier P five schools, even upper tier G five schools are often the beneficiaries of that movement because only one player can play at these top schools and often like they're going to end up in the portal. And if you develop them right, you could have a really good guy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Twenty twenty three recruiting for Oregon to the portal's been pretty active. Um, they have nine commits. You mentioned Jordan Birch; he is their highest rated transfer um, from South Carolina. But I'm I'm curious of what you think of this group. Uh, it's eleventh in the country, um, fourth in the Pac twelve. Pac twelve in general has done a really good job of hitting the portal. Some of it's by number, some of it's by talent. But I'm just curious your thoughts on anything stands out about Oregon's guys that, that they've inked, which we're pretty certain almost all of them have also enrolled at Oregon. We, we're not trying to break news here, but like it, we haven't confirmed it. But like I think Eric and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. Like we've seen a lot of these guys on social in school at Oregon already. So that's that's another positive. Yeah, no. Um... This is a uh, this is an anxious time of year for schools with portal guys because until they're in class, they're not really on your roster. Yeah. And it can be flips. Um, thankfully for Oregon, I think they're largely in a position where they don't have to worry about that. Um, I think what stands out to me is the line of scrimmage. We talked about earlier how difficult it is to get quality pieces. Like obviously Jordan Birch is an impact player from the jump. Um, South Carolina definitely did not want to lose him. Um, but you also look at the offensive line. Obviously, Oregon's had a very experienced offensive line the last couple of years. That has finally started to cycle out a little bit with the extra eligibility. And then you bring in Junior Angelo. Um, I'm sorry if I'm butchering his last name. I'm very familiar with him. He's in Austin. I live in Austin. He was at Texas the last couple of years, a very quality interior line, uh, interior lineman, somebody that Texas would have liked to have kept, but I understand why he explores options. AJ Cornelius, who had offers from everybody across the country, um, as potential plug and play piece across the offensive line. I think those are two really quality pieces. They like try to rebuild that room. I love what Justin Jacobs can potentially be at linebacker. 
Um, Evan Williams, who actually doesn't have a ranking right now from 24-7 sports and should eventually maybe uh, elevate Oregon's class into the top 10 of transfers, is somebody I really liked from Fresno State as well. Um, so some really quality pieces across the board, plugging some holes that were there, while also adding depth that positions um, where you'd like to have one or two more bodies. So I think Oregon's done a really good job. This is just a semantic question I realized, Chris, that I probably should have an answer to, but don't. Because and, and this is going back to something you said earlier, but but players decommitting. Uh, is, are, when, when a player commits verbally, is there any paperwork that they have to sign? Because you mentioned sometimes but part of the issue is getting a guy on campus. Like, how big of a threat is it? I mean, are, is, are they signing similar commitment paperwork that a high school player is signing or no? No, essentially they're just signing a grant of aid. Um, and then like, that's not binding. So I think the best situation to think of in that regard is Dylan Gabriel last year mm. um, with UCLA. Um, he had been committed to UCLA for a couple of weeks, um, talking to people over there. It was the day that classes started. He didn't show up to his first class, um, bit of panic set in. They were making calls, didn't show up to his second by the mid afternoon, they like had known they'd lost him because they hadn't heard from him and the Oklahoma rumors were starting to start. Um, so until a player is, has his butt in the seat in a classroom, officially attends a class, they are still technically available. Um, so it can make for some nervous moments. Like um, for example, I, there was a quarterback at Arkansas state this cycle who was committed to them uh, up until like the very last day had been committing for Arkansas state. And then, Right before he was supposed to go to class, he flipped to Troy. Um, so it definitely can happen. It's just I don't know. I just it's it's just such bizarre times. And I guess my earlier goes to my earlier question of like, gosh, it feels like there's so many things that we've we've kind of rolled out a a plan without really thinking through all the steps in the plan. So I, I, that was just another thing I had a question on. Big picture for for I guess the Pac-12, like. Is there a team you think's really improved themselves? I mean, included Oregon in there. You've obviously run through what they've done, but is there a team that you think has like g- genuinely improved themselves and maybe taken a step up for what they can be in twenty three through through portal additions? I mean, I think you could argue outside of Washington State and Arizona and maybe Cal, um, depending on how you want to think about Cal situation. Everybody's improved their uh, improved their lot through the portal. Um, this is a conference that's done a really nice job um, taking advantage of the transfer portal. But if you're talking about like overall improvement, it has to be Colorado and Arizona State. Both of those teams have taken – Colorado's taken 23 transfers so far. Um, Arizona State's taken 25. So you're oh, talking yeah. about more than like – more than 25% of your entire 85 scholarship allotment has been through the portal for those two teams. And obviously they had a long way to go in both cases, especially Colorado, which you could argue was the worst Power 5 team in the country last year. Um, so when you talk about just like overall improvement on the scale, I think those two teams lead the way. Um, but I also really like what the contenders did. I love UCLA's class. Really like what Oregon's done. Really like what USC's done. I think Washington has quietly done a really nice job. Utah always does a good job in the portal, even if they've been a little slower, uh, with it than they have in previous years. So, um, I think the Pac-12 is going to be loaded next year in large part because the portal successes for a lot of the teams. We're speaking with Chris Hummer, National College Football writer, uh, guy in charge for 24-7 sports for the transfer portal coverage. Um, kind of looking at Dan Lanning and what he did in his first season, where they're going now into this offseason, just how, how do you view this program from 10,000 feet 
in the middle of the country. Like what what's what is the perspective of Oregon after year one with Dan Lanning, you feel like? I mean, I think Oregon's in a really strong position. Um, once USC and UCLA leave the Pac-12, I think they are the biggest brand on the West Coast uh, without much question. I think they did a smart thing by hiring Dan Letting. You're hiring one of the best young coaches in the country. Um, and I know Oregon has lost some coaches in recent years, um, getting yeah. coached from other parts of the country. But in my opinion, you can't be scared to lose a coach. You have to hire the best coach possible and then prove that you're the best situation for them. And I think they did that with Dan Lanning. And I think Dan Lanning proved a lot in year one. Like, I think the way they lost to Georgia could have derailed a lot of people's seasons. Um, your team could have turtled and you could have totally fallen off a cliff. And for Oregon to respond the way it did is a credit to Dan Lanning and his regime. Um, I think Oregon is the best recruiting team in the Pac-12, especially once USC leaves. Um, and I think Oregon is positioned to be the powerhouse of the West Coast. Um, once that happens and their portal gains and their early recruiting gains from 2023 are both really strong. Um, you obviously have to get quarterback figured out once Bo Nix does eventually leave. Um, but I really like Austin Nova's dad. Ty Thompson's obviously a high ceiling guy, so they should be fine there. And there's always the portal. Um, so I think Oregon's in a really strong long-term position. Obviously have to figure out a way to get over that Utah hurdle, um, which has been a thing the last couple of years. Um, and they, Utah obviously has an excellent program. But when you're just talking about resources, branding, um, and potential, like Oregon's clearly, in my opinion, the top team in the Pac-12 once USC departs. Not to pitch you against somebody we had on last week who's one of your colleagues, Brendan Marcello, uh, but I'm just curious because I agree with what you've run through there, and I think Brandon did too. Um, but not to just continue to hit the, the dead horse here, but conference realignment with, with Oregon, with you mentioned at USC, UCLA heading to the Big Ten soon. No clear direction of where Oregon would go, but in, in your mind, do you, do you feel like there's validity to Oregon being the big dog, quote unquote, in a Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever that conference ends up being? Or as, as Brandon kind of argued, it probably makes more sense, maybe not even over the next five years, but over the next 15 to 20 to be in another conference. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with Brandon. Long term, I think Oregon probably does need to be in another conference because the disparity in terms of revenue from TV contracts will be felt long-term you're talking about the sec and the big 10 um once these new contracts get going likely bringing in 90 plus million per school um the big 12 the acc and the pac-12 i don't even know what the pac 12 numbers are going to look like sans uh, usc and ucla would probably be closer to 45 40 50 um and you're talking about literally 50 million dollars a year difference um between those two leagues like we saw, we saw Michigan State snatch Mel Tucker away by just doubling his salary yeah. a couple of years ago. And it's going to, like, we'll see that happen over and over again um, with the two conferences kind of at the top, the uh, Big Ten and the SEC, and think, unless things even out. So from, like, an on-field perspective and a competitive perspective, you're talking about getting to the college football playoff and potentially making a run. Like, being in the Pac-12 is great. Like, and on the surface, like, it makes a lot of sense for Oregon to be there. But if you're talking about long-term survival, there's definitely an argument Oregon would be better suited in another league. Geographically, I think it would probably have to be the Big Ten. Um, I know the Big 12 would love to add Oregon as well. Um, but maybe you have, like, a West Coast division um, of the Big Ten down the line. But, um, yeah, I, I think Oregon's still an attractive brand um, for other leagues. Um, but I think they would be okay for a couple of years on their own. 
but I, I should say only a couple of years because eventually those dollar figures start to add up. My last question for you, Chris, is just how should we view the Pac-12 in 2023? Because it's it's in its final year of its current format. Like you said, USC, UCLA go to the Big Ten in 2024. And there's a lot of optimism that this league could be really good because of all the quarterbacks coming back. Um, Caleb Williams is back, who won the Heisman. Michael Penix is back. You've got Bo Nix. Um, UCLA has Dante Moore. Cam Rising is back uh, at Utah. Uh, how, how should we view? Is this the year that the Pac-12 breaks through that playoff slump and, and gets in? Yeah, I mean, from just like a personal enjoyment perspective, like I, I think the Pac-12 is the league I'm most excited by um, next year by a pretty significant margin. Like you mentioned all those quarterbacks and like Cameron Ward at Washington State is one of my favorite players to watch in the country. And he might not even be a top half quarterback in the league, at least based on his resume going into next year. That's how deep that position is in the Pac-12. It's just an amazing slate of talent. Um, you have a lot of older teams too because of the super senior retention and things across the board. So that'll be really fun. As for the ability to get a team in the college football playoff, I think that's a different conversation. We've seen the Pac-12 eat itself alive um, in yeah. conference play the last couple of years. And given how competitive the league is going to be next year, I have a hard time projecting one team to kind of break out of that pack and go, um, what would it be, 12-1 and or 13-0 and to run the table in that regard. Um, because to me, like, I think I was doing my preseason top 25. I had Washington, USC, Oregon, Utah, all as top 15 teams. And then I had Oregon State and UCLA as top 25 teams. Um, so that's just a lot of quality at the top. And that's just a lot of teams you have to get through to run the table. Um, so I, I have a difficult time projecting a Pac-12 team getting to the college football playoff, but I think it'll be a very fun path to see who eventually wins the league. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Chris, really appreciate your time. Thank you for talking Transfer Portal, Oregon Ducks. We look forward to having you on the show down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris.